You're listening to Dear Alice, a lifestyle approach to interior design. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It is turning into spring outside, and I am so grateful for more daylight and for warmer weather extended sunshine. And we wanted to talk a little bit about getting outside and going into the yard um, because we're warming up. So we have a favorite landscape architect and friend, Jeremy Fillmore on today. He is with Northland Design. It's a group that he started, I don't know, how many years ago now, Jeremy? It's our 21st year. 21st year. Congrats. That's really cool. Uh, Jeremy actually was the landscape architect on my home and we bring him onto a lot of projects whenever we can. Uh, because he's so talented and fun to work with, and I'm excited for you guys to get to know him and hear about his passion as well. Um, so I want to ask you, Jeremy, what exactly does a landscape architect do? Awesome question. <laughs> you know what? We just mow the grass, Jessica. <laughs> we just mow the lawn. No, you don't. <laughs> when we were in college, we had t-shirts made on the back. It said, it's not about mowing the lawn about 50 times on the back of the t-shirt. Oh. We're like, this is what it's not about. Yeah. But we love lawns and we love grass. But um, so landscape architecture, it's a great question. Um, I think in relating it in a lot of ways, um, it's really designing really awesome, great outdoor spaces that people will use and design them in a way that they're drawn to them, will use them, mm-hmm. and uh, designing and creating those moments that I believe people are really seeking for. I think one of the I think analogies we give would be if you're sitting at your dining room table and you're having a dinner and you look outside and go, why are we in here? when we've got that out there, let's just mm-hmm. open the doors and move out there. Yeah. It must be that something was done right. It's a great yeah. space. You want to be in it. <clears throat> and so mm-hmm. those are the spaces that we believe we should help create people for people outdoors. I think in a lot of ways, very similar to the interior world as we've worked together over the years that I see and learn from you, but it's that type of a draw for, for, I think our clients is, wow, I didn't know I could live outdoors like this. Mm. And those are the things we try to help people create. That's awesome. Also, don't you, I mean, of course you feel like this, but I, I think of the curb appeal of a home and being able to soften some of the edges and the lines of that and making the experience of just looking at the home or walking up to the front door so much more magical and enchanted than, than if I left my own devices mm-hmm you know, might just run grass up to, up to my house and forget flower beds. I don't know. Maybe I'm not that bad, but do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think, I think that the landscape architecture, there's, there's like so much that goes into making a home just magical. Good. I think when you said that it, we look at each project and we have a lot of clients say, well, what's your style? Mm -hmm. We said, well, what's your, what's your architecture and what's your lifestyle? What's kind of the, what's the day in the life of your family like? And we start to paint and kind of learn and listen And all of a sudden it starts to evoke how we should design the space. And it really should start as people are driving up the street and they start to approach the home and go, oh, there it is. That's the house. And how do we support architecture? How do we make it look awesome? Mm -hmm. And uh, most of the homes we work on do have really nice architecture and stunning. And yeah, without a landscape, I think most people would agree that it's like, well, it's not done. Yeah. Or something's mm-hmm. missing. And so it really is giving the house a hug uh-huh. you know, the right mm-hmm. way. And the approach to the front door when I leave and I'm carrying either presents in at Christmas time, even in the winter time, how does mm-hmm. it feel? Or, you know, just those things, I think the sun and the shade and the appropriateness of making that home feel, I think, anchored on a site 
in a way that they just love enjoying and looking at it. I think one example of that would be when we drive home every day, we drive home to our garage doors, most people. Yeah. So it's like, oh, can we, can we make that also just an amazing experience, Mm -hmm. you know, so that that's something you love. And so I think that's the extension from architecture that we try to create and pull that out into it in a way that's, um, I don't know, just kind of, you use the word dreamy a lot, you Mm -hmm. know, and I love that, that phrase. And it's like, I just dream about my home. I love it from the moment I'm driving up the driveway and first seeing it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. I love that. Also, there's a, a moment that you designed at my house. that's like probably the most used pathway. And that is from the driveway to my front walk. And it's like, if a neighbor's going to pull up on my driveway and run something up to my door really quick, they're not going to run all the way, take the sidewalk and then all the run, you know, run all the way up. There's this little stone pathway that we created. Um, I had a concept that I showed Jeremy that was really large stepping stones with moss growing in between it. And it's between two beds. There's like a row of hedges um, on the right and then the stone path. And then on the left, there's all these hydrangeas. And so you get to just like zip through the middle of this little moment before you get to the front steps. And so I think you're super thoughtful about what is the experience of getting to the front door or, um, to the party in the backyard or to, um, you know, from the backyard down or from my back patio door down the stairs. And what does that look like? And so it's just really about using, not just getting to the space, but, but the space in between that's, that's the journey, not the destination, right? (laughs) Sorry to sound so cliche. Yes. I can't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Designing those moments is just, Extraordinary. Um, so we talked a little bit about considering the exterior finishes or design of the home when designing. I think when we're designing homes, we are oftentimes, depending on the homeowner, they might want something that looks like it's from the East Coast and it's red brick and it's traditional, or they might want something that's a lot more modern, uh, edited. Um, and so there's different landscapes, obviously, that go with, with each of these styles. Um, I don't know, can you speak to that a little bit when you're when you're trying to look at the um, style of the home and how to really, how to bring that home. I feel like some of us can speak about how we want to live in a house, but I don't, do people come to you with just question marks in their eyeballs? And they're like, how do I, I'm building this really contemporary thing, but how do we warm it up a little bit with landscape or? Yeah, no, I think it's a wonderful question because I think the, the architecture itself is going to speak to the months and months that the client has spent trying to determine what they want that home to look like Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. You know, where's the stone? Where's the, if they have some stucco or the brick and how is it going to look in the color, the roof tile, you know, one amazing thing that we've noticed over the years would be when you look at a roof of a home, Mm -hmm. it's fairly, there's a dominance to a roof. We'll take that and say, that but that color often be, becomes our ground plane color in the hardscapes of the landscape. Mm, interesting. You know, if we end yeah. up coming back to the vertical architecture of the home and we try to duplicate that, sometimes it gets a little bit too much and it's like the architecture of the walls are just bleeding out onto the ground of the mm-hmm. landscape. Yeah. And so it's that balance. It is finishes and materials. And it could be, we're not afraid of really nicely done concrete either, mm-hmm. but a blue stone or, you know, even a concrete paver is fine, but it does pull back to that home. And we take, often we'll take a subordinate material mm-hmm. of the house and say, that's going to be the accent we use for a wall mm-hmm. or a paving or your stepping stones to your home by your hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the connection to what's it going to look like next to grass is a really fine texture. And if we have a busy flagstone pattern and busy, wiry looking plants, is it all going to just get to be too much? So Mm -hmm. it's what calms it, 
you know, how do we use those principles to calm it down? Yeah. And, uh, so I think that's a really key point for using those finishes on the home to consider and then balancing that in the landscape to where our, our goal as landscape architects is to never take away from the home. It's mm. to support it softly, you know, appropriately and where you, your eyes drawn to the home, through the landscape, to the home. And, uh, you know, your hydrangeas you love so much mm-hmm. are there just supporting that front porch and that beautiful railing you did mm-hmm. in a great way. But if they were, if they took away from the house, you'd be like, give me something else. Yeah. You know, yeah. That approach. And that, I feel like that's the thing that none of us really know how to do. I knew when I first hired Jeremy that I'm not a flowery person. I don't really ever want to see petunias or, you know, lots and lots of flowers and especially lots of different colors of flowers. And that's the thing where you're like, okay, we're doing landscapes. Do I have to have flowers? And if so, can they just all be the same color? Or I don't know what the rules are, but um, Jeremy created lots of texture on texture on texture with all different types of greens. And then hydrangeas are white and other ground covers I have might be white. And so it was a pretty simple to look at landscape. But when I look across it now that it's five years grown in and I see the different textures playing against each other, it's like a symphony of these textures that you knew would look great together and left to my own devices at a greenhouse, I would have never come up with it. And it's not flowers and it's not anything Mm -hmm. that, you know, probably is that magical. Jeremy probably would never put this on his portfolio. But to me, when I see it in bloom and it's July, I'm like, wow, you're good at your job. (laughs) You know, it's dreamy. It is very dreamy. Yeah. 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 It's really fun. That made me think of a question, Jeremy is like, how far are you looking into the future when you're designing um, so Good like d- designing a yard. So yeah. like, oh, this will, this will grow in, in a couple seasons and it's going to look like this. And then how hard is it to set that expectation with the client be like, Hey, you're, you know what I mean? It's yeah, going to, there's take- nothing really instant gratification yeah. about a landscape. It's rough. It's like, I've always told people, <laughs> I don't like first year landscapes. Yeah. When they're for, I'm installed or first year. It's like, we'll wait and photograph that in a couple of years. You yeah. Know? But, um, the expectation is, gosh, are you going to give me a plant that's going to overgrow my house? Is what's it going to look like five years from now? Because that's when I, and I'd love, love to hear this, uh-huh. five years from now from when we started that project, it was that you're enjoying it, that it's happening, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that you're seeing it. Um, and that's when you truly get to know whether the project worked or not, is mm-hmm. you've used it, you've been in it, you've trimmed it. And you might have even moved things around a little bit, which is totally fine. That's why a landscape is living. Um, and I think you rearrange, you know, living rooms occasionally too, you know, yeah. couches mm-hmm. and you move things around. Totally. Um, and so it needs to be a little ephemeral. It needs to be, be able to be allowed to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that flexibility depends on the client, which is a great question. Could be, you know, I don't want to touch my landscape ever again. I don't want to trim anything. Therefore, everything needs to be at, um, when it's matured, needs to kind of be at its shape. Yeah. Or I'm okay. I love to prune. I love to trim. It's like, okay, then you're okay with a butterfly bush that's going to get to be 10 feet tall and keep it up. Yeah, I'm totally great with that. It's that whole getting to know what the clients, that life they live, right? Yeah. And and so that you're not going to miss it. Because I mean, five years from now for me, this is awesome. I mean, to be able to come back and say, gosh, if somebody saw your yard and they asked who did it and you happened to mention us or whatever, it'd be like, that's a benefit. That's, that's, that's giving you value that you've enjoyed it for that long now. And they should last for 10, 15, 20 years. And you have to refresh like anything, but totally. And I think you change as people, right? Like today I'm like, oh, do you know what I would like that's flowering? I would love more flowering trees. (laughs) 
Because I love the idea of snipping the branches off and bringing them inside and putting them in my ginger jars and Mm -hmm. entertaining and having these really tall, beautiful flowering cherry blossoms. You know what I mean? And and so that's what I learned about myself is I don't necessarily need to have lots of varieties of flowers on the ground. I think the thing that did me in was, and maybe people do this with you, I think it happens in interiors, is we had rented a home and it had a lot of rose bushes and the rose bushes were only pretty for a very, very short moment of time. But other than that, they were very thorny sticks and they were very cacophonous to look at. And they, they didn't make my heart happy when I looked at that landscape. I just felt dry and prickly. Mm-hmm. So I was like, roses are not for me, you know, <laughs> but roses are only a part of the symphony. Right. And then other things come into bloom at other times and, and so I think, I think knowing in answering, I guess, some of Corey's question, like, how do you know, like the timing of all of these things, there's things that bloom earlier and right all different times. And so if you probably have a flower loving, um, client, then you probably know when to set that string of events off, um, so that she always has something blooming. Often, and, absolutely. And I think, um, it does come down to that personal preference to where, I mean, you've got everything from tulips. Yeah. If you have deer, you can't do tulips. So you go to something different or uh-huh. you know, it's understanding that world of what the plant likes and what the environment likes as well. But it would be, um, it really does come down to that understanding of uh, the seasonal, what's it going to look like in the fall? It's so funny as landscape architects, we, when we're doing design in the fall, we end up using plants that look great in the fall yeah. sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, yeah. you're kind of, you know, affected by that. Yeah. But um, we have clients, we have a questionnaire and they come out and they say, I don't like yellows or oranges. Please don't use any yellows or oranges. Mm, right? Interesting. Okay, great. No problem. Yeah. We use the whites and the greens, the calming. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, I love roses. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, let's do roses you know, and, um, but I think how that unfolds through the year and how things start from the bloom in the spring, how it leaves out in the spring to, uh, I mean, in the wintertime, I mean, in Utah here in this area, at least, and we've designed kind of across the West, but it's, that's what does it look like in the wintertime? And sometimes we have to design for what it looks like Mm -hmm. in the winter because sometimes we have snow, sometimes we don't, and it looks kind of dead and blah, Mm -hmm. but, um, all of that has to play into it. Yeah. Oh, great answers. Um, Okay, so one of the things that I learned from Jeremy that I want him to share with you is what are your tips for growing a garden? (laughs) Okay, so well... (laughs) I, I did do the master gardening course. Yay, raw for me. You know, and so, but don't ask my wife about our garden and how it turns out every year. But your question actually comes back to something that we believe about as we design for gardens and uh-huh. how we should work towards implementing them in our yards is oftentimes when you think of a garden, we can define it and say, yes, I want potatoes and corn and pumpkins and lots of space. And so I need a big dirt plot in the back corner of my yard. Yeah. That doesn't need any design. Doesn't need any help from us. You just decide what you want it, put it there and be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say that you just really love salsa and you just need tomatoes and peppers and just a few things you're going to cut quickly. You know, we integrate that type of thing into patio spaces that are closer to the home. that are easy to access. And mm-hmm. so we kind of have to open our mind a little bit and say, why do we want a garden? Yeah. What type is it, is it a cutting garden? Is it a true vegetable garden? Is it a, you know, that we also believe that you've already got a lot of plantings around your home in a lot of planter beds. So why not integrate? And you might have a drip system that would allow you to take and plant some peppers out in a planter bed without having to do a dedicated garden. Yeah. You box off or fence Mm -hmm. off with crushed stone and raise garden boxes. Yeah. 
I think it depends on a lot of, first of all, the function, what you're looking for, but then there's the aesthetics. If we want to look in our yard and our eye goes right to the garden and it's like, there it is that don't often look great. Mm -hmm. Then maybe we consider disguising our garden amongst our landscape and it can enhance Mm -hmm. it and look great. All summer long, a pumpkin patch looks great when it's all leafy and beautiful. Yeah. Then you get these awesome pumpkins growing and it's just kind of, those moments are fun to to wait for and create, right? They just kind of evolve. Yeah. Um, So I think it's kind of that personal preference and, but we have done a dedicated garden, but sometimes we've done logs with rope lashings or leather lashings for the rope, Mm. for the, the, the fencing around a garden and making it really special benches sitting in there, a swing sitting in your garden, mm. a reason to go to your garden yeah. and yeah. actually want to hang out there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think that's a good. I point. conjure up all these images of our garden growing up with this dry patch of dirt that's unlandscaped <laughs> in the corner, right. the very far corner banished uh-huh. to the corner of the yard that yeah. nobody wants to go out and weed. Cares, uh-huh. right? Yeah, totally. And it looks so dry. Oh, anyway, yeah. I loved when Jeremy said, just put it in your beds. And I was like, how liberating. (laughs) He just said, if you want a pumpkin, grow a pumpkin, but you don't have to grow an entire garden full of pumpkins. Mm -hmm. If all you want is just, you know, a few for your porch and and for your kids. That's right. And our real estate is, is kind of precious, you know, so it depends on how you want to use it. And by not doing a garden, it frees it up for other uses. Yeah. And you might go, Oh, well, gosh, now I could maybe the pool I was thinking about or the basketball court or whatever it, you know, yeah. that, that works. Yeah. So great and practical. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So why should a person hire a landscape architect instead of doing it themselves? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think budget's going to come into play. Sure. Can you help people design um, if they have a budget for their landscape um, and just kind of what are the benefits of using a landscape architect versus sure. not? Did you know that 35% of adults report experiencing poor sleep quality? Let me put you onto something that is going to transform your sleep. Cozy Earth Bedding is temperature regulating people. This is huge. If you and your spouse do not sleep at the same temperature, which most people don't, I'm freezing, my husband's hot. This is a massive benefit and breakthrough for us when we started sleeping on Cozy Earth. You can both sleep on the same mattress with the same sheets and be completely comfortable. They also have a 100-night sleep trial guarantee and a 10-year warranty, which I don't know of anybody that does this. They're that confident in the product, and so am I. When I first touched Cozy Earth products, I could not believe the soft hand on it. It also almost has like a cool feel to your hand, to your um, hand. It's like slippery dolphin, like your feet swishing around is so, so addictive. I can't sleep with anything but cozy earth sheets. I'm obsessed. Um, Also, you need to treat yourself to the ultimate comfort with cozy earth. I love the sleepwear. I love the sweats and the bedding is amazing. You can prioritize your self-care sleep health if you just head over to cozyearth.com and use the promo code dear alice for an exclusive 35 percent off you guys we don't have to wait for a sale you can use this anytime again the code is dear alice for an exclusive 35 percent off better sleep awaits you with cozy earth so, so I think the conversation has to start really early and so we start um when we meet with a client we we start asking these questions very early on. Our questionnaire asks, do you have a budget? Mm-hmm. You know, And we want to make sure that we are aware of it. I believe someone who is trained, who has been kind of, um, I think is on a daily basis, 
thinking about this to the extent that we do um, can help somebody who thinks about it occasionally and once a year or every 10 years when they redo a landscape, Mm -hmm. I think can really help them think through the steps and going, um, how much do you want to put into this right up up front? And our design fees come out of that, I recognize too. Mm -hmm. So hiring a landscape architect, we, you know, we have a fee and so we recognize that. And so we're sensitive to understanding, you know, what, uh, what, pieces are you looking to install in the landscape? What things are you excited about? And we have a really good feel for what those things and those items and those pieces do cost somebody to put in. And it always costs more than somebody thinks. Yes. Just to yes. put in grass and sprinklers and some plants. People mm-hmm. are like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's just the basics. Yeah. Just that much. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you think, okay, now we've got to add in, well, about lighting, just lighting alone and the, all the different programs and technology we have nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, having a landscape architect to guide you through that because we do work on it every day with trades and contractors down to what a Mason costs to build a stone wall. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves a stone wall. And even back to Charlie Brown days, I want the yeah. Charlie Brown stone wall, yeah. but it's like, okay, do you know what that's going to cost? Uh-huh. Well, it's just stone. We just stack it up. Right. And he's like, kind of. And, but this is the process. And so I think that creates that transparency is very important. The design process is kind of a, is, is a really good way to, check that as we go. As we work out a schematic design and an idea or a 3D model or something like that, we can then stop at that point and run it through some trades and say, where do you think we're going to be on this? What do you mm-hmm. think? Um, so, and then the idea of phasing it, how much, if I love, if I have a dream design and I believe everybody should design to their dream, design the way you want your dream to be. Mm-hmm. And along with a budget and be insensitive to it, but then think about how am I going to take this down in phases and really accessibility is one of the biggest things is if I want to do a pool later, mm. I'm going to tear up half of my yard yeah. coming back to do the pool later, mm-hmm. you know, or it's putting the garden in later or anything you decide to do later, even a trampoline later in the ground requires excavation. So all of that has to be thought through, but it's something that can be done. We do, I think probably 60 to 70% of our projects probably have a phase to them that have to be considered. Yeah. That is, you know, it's a reality and it, it's totally good. No problem. Our design plans, we can think about that. We've designed a yard and left out a pool and then they've asked us to design a version that they said, could we come back and show how the pool could be? I think we're five years out and we understand the implications of doing it. Yeah. So we've showed them how that could phase in over time and work with what we already designed. Mm, I like that. And then that avoids frustration yeah. too mm-hmm. down the road. Like, Oh, if only, if only I knew, or only you had told me that we were going to have to rip up the driveway to get all this machinery back back here and rip up all the beds in the side yard and half my neighbor's yard. And yeah, it <laughs> yeah, is totally true. All the things. Yep. We yeah. use the word Baghdad a lot of like, your yard's going to look like Baghdad <laughs> for like, you know, for a month or three yeah. or 10 yeah. and you just got to be okay with it. And your yeah. windows are going to be dusty and dirty and your kids are going to love it and you're not. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's just going to be that way. Yeah. Here's, what? A, here's a question too. I'm just curious, like, cause we often get involved really early in the design process to build a home. And the best ones are usually when an architect, a landscape architect, has often been there to situate the house on the plan. How early do you like to be involved if somebody is planning on doing like tearing down a house and rebuilding or building a whole new house? Good. Um, I think you're singing the song, you know, that we like to sing. It's that moment of the earlier we can get involved, the better on if it's a new home construction and they're going to site the home for us to get a design from an architect that says it's done, it's finished, here you go. 
it, it limits mm-hmm. what the possibilities are because mm-hmm. he hasn't thought through the programming of the yard and how the people want to use the space. Yeah. We do a lot of site planning, meaning taking the home, locating it on the home, on the lot, turning and twisting it if needed. And we design that while we're working through conceptual design of the, 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 the property improvements mm-hmm. and because it makes all the difference. Right. Mm-hmm. And we've actually worked, we're working with an architect right now where they changed the windows because of one of the site plan changes of how the view was going to be out the window. Cause we knew what we were going to be looking at. Yeah. So they changed the kitchen windows to wrap differently mm-hmm. and it was wonderful. Yeah. And so it's a, it's as early as possible is the benefit. And we realize that's not always possible, but um, overall the project, we find our clients are a lot more happy, a lot more satisfied when they've had mm-hmm. the contractor who's building their, or the architect who's building, designing it, excuse me, the contractor who's building it, the landscape architect who's helping situate it with the interior design thinking on the inside and this whole team taking on the project. And, and again, I think people could hear that and think, oh my goodness, that's a lot of people, a lot of coordinating, a lot of design. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think we, we have to understand the process, I think, and give patience to the process and that it does take time. And it does take, if you want the product that you're looking for to be designed, it does take money. Mm-hmm. It does take that and that's okay. Yeah. You know, but how much money that takes, the client can drive that. And we are totally working with them on that. And it can be, if you have this block over here and you say, I want to stay within this. That's, that's being a good designer, being able to design mm-hmm. within a budget and meet a client's needs and yeah. being honest with people. I think that's one of the most important things as designers is being able to be honest, transparent mm-hmm. and say, you know, I really would, cons- I'd question that and be okay with kind of saying, yeah, little red flag there mm-hmm. and kind of guide them because most there's, you know, I think we're all kind of naive in certain ways about certain things in our lives. And that might be something that we can guide somebody and answer a question that they, they don't want to make. Nobody wants to make mistakes. Yeah. So I think we try to help guide people to avoid that as best mm-hmm. we can. And I feel like once they were to get working with you and citing this plan and understanding maybe a sun study on mm-hmm. their, you know, on their property, seeing how the sun is going to come up and go down and, and you know, what that's going to do for, I know like my back patio is very, very hot back there and I've got to get a pergola up there in order to use it in the daytime. I finally figured out that I can sunset out there and it's very comfortable during those hours, but during the day, it's just super, super hot. But if they had, you know, you sight the home that their, their living experience in their home, in their yard is going to be so much more spectacular and thought out. And they're also going to find more value in being like, I know I thought my budget was X, but now that we're doing this, I think I need to give more budget to this because this is literally changing the way I'm going to live outside of my home. Right. And so they just don't necessarily know in the beginning, um, you know, when they're trying to think of what would a budget be for this? Right. Good. So, yeah. Good question. What are your, uh, like, percentage of projects that are new build versus, like, existing homes, like, starting over? And I mean, do you prefer one or the other? Oh, gosh. You know, we've done (laughs) remodels from total teardowns. Jessica and I worked on one. There was a total teardown and then a redo of everything um, to obviously just new construction of a new home on a property. And and then um, just remodeling because they're a lot of the projects we work on are because we're working with interior designers. They're revising the inside. They, They blow something out and push out and change. And that requires the landscape to be redesigned. Um, I think it's probably a really good balance between, you know, if it was, if it's the rule of thirds, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it'd be a third of one of each potentially in how we work with different clients. And, um, the phone calls we get on a weekly basis are, yep. I think those same questions. We have a remodel. We just need some help 
rethinking things, Mm -hmm. refreshing a backyard. Great. Mm -hmm. No problem. You know, total teardown. You know, we've done 18 acres, you know, where it's like, how do you work with 18 acres? Mm -hmm. Well, one piece at a time and carefully thinking it through. Yeah. It's fantastic. We worked on one of those together. Yeah. And it's like, that's exciting. And a small, tiny little backyard we worked on Jessica up in the avenues mm-hmm. up there mm-hmm. and tiniest backyard we've ever worked on. Yeah. Probably the one of the most successful projects I think we've ever done. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Yeah. It can be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a, you, you may not, but like a rule of thumb, like a uh, you know, certain amount per square foot that someone can expect? Oh, or is that like cost yeah. oh, for, for design fees yeah. on that design? Well, or, or construction. I don't think yeah. anybody knows what a landscape costs. So if right. I guess if that's a question you're comfortable asking, I know with interiors, it completely is a different rule every time, but is there sort of a general, if somebody's like, Hey, I'm building my first home. Do you know what I mean? How much should I plan on spending Yep. And, and, on a, I think it's the same answer you would give. It's that I, I would not be able to answer it. How many variables play into that? Yeah. Yeah, and it totally. would be, have they saved for 50 years to build the home, 30 years, 20, mm-hmm. whatever. And they have, you know, $300,000 sitting in their account that they're really excited to implement into their landscape. That's great. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's just that really careful. If they just want grass sprinklers and some stuff, we could say, Hey, it's two to $3 a square foot. Mm-hmm. That's just your basics. Mm-hmm. And if you have a half of an acre, that's 20,000 square feet times two, you know, you start doing some of the simple math with people yeah. that then there's retaining walls and there's edging and there's hardscapes and walkways and lighting and plants and, and excavation and staging of contractors. And it, it all is so variable, but I think it can't, I hope that we wouldn't scare anybody off from that because it's also a very, it's a good science. Mm-hmm. It's well known. Yep. It's nothing that I don't think somebody comes in and surprises both of you with this new idea that you've never kind of had to take on before. You just take it one piece at a time and you figure yeah. it out. And, and it's for that, I think is instilling that confidence in these, in your listeners is that just trust the process. Yeah. I think trust the design process and take it as slow as you want we have some clients that are just saying, I'm really not a quick decision maker. It's like, then we're right with you. Yeah. It's like, we're ready to move. Let's go. We're like, then let like, we pull our bootstraps up. Let's go. Let's get busy. <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. I have a question for you. You've been in business for 21 years. In the 21 years, how many times have you seen those clients, you've done their landscape, come back to you? How, how soon do people want a refresh on their landscape? I think probably like interiors, things probably trend a little bit. Maybe something that they loved 10 years ago, maybe they're not as excited about today, or maybe they're like, ah, oh, that had its time in the sun. I'm ready to look at something new. Really? How, how often do you think we should reassess our landscaping? Yep. I think when you said the 10 years, it was exactly what I was thinking is that we've seen those returns coming back and saying, Hey, you know, things we've got, we don't have kids at home now yeah. or that's changed or it, the, the lifestyle changes or whatever, just their interests or they, they just are read, they've redone the outside of the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, you know, it just happens. So yeah, probably around that 10 years, you know, I've seen that and some longer, we have one that came back that's now 30 years that they, well, we haven't been in business that long, but they've wanted to refresh after 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay. And sometimes it's just plant material that just, they get, it gets, it gets kind of tired. Yeah. Plants get tired. Yeah. And they just need to be replaced and, and they want help with that. But a lot of the times it's that, it's that patio. It wasn't quite big enough now for their family. They got mm. kids coming home or, mm-hmm. you know, so a common thing is to be able to, well, I'd say 
we don't get as many calls for the redesign of, of the spaces we've designed in the past um, too often just because, again, we're kind of now just experiencing those return clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And I imagine, too, you've said this before, if you have a plan, and we believe in this as well, if you have a plan and you implement it at your own timeline, obviously the plan will still work now or later. But if somebody just tries to do it on their own, they often waste money and they lose money and they have a bad plan, and then you have to come in and clean up. We've done it before. Mm-hmm. So I often say we save people money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do. You know, even though the expense initially feels like a lot, it does avoid that cleanup cost, uh-huh. which can be very expensive. Do you feel like, do you yeah. do that a lot? Yeah, definitely. And and I, I'm not sure, you know, kind of how many ta- how often we're doing it, but I can tell that that is something that we really do. I have a lot of clients coming back and saying, all right, let's, let's, uh, it's time to make a change. You know, either because something they don't like it, the time has passed or something maybe has failed and there has to be something that just wasn't, there's not an, I guess I say that it was a, there's a science to the process, Mm -hmm. but there's also, there's just, there's life and outdoors we have the environment and things change. Mm -hmm. And so I wish I could give guarantees on everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's fun about the ephemeral nature of a a landscape is it changes a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's guarantees on anything. I wish there were on my dental work or, or my eyeballs or, you know, so many things. Yeah. yeah. All those things change. Okay. So, um, if you could help us, Jeremy, know, to avoid some pitfalls. Um, can you tell us things to do or not to do? One of the things I didn't know when I first started working with Jeremy is he would say, he said not to do curbing, separating the lawn from the flower beds. Concrete curbing? Yes. Okay. And, and I just thought that that was something that everybody does. It gives their lawnmower wheel, something nice to glide along (laughs) mowing the lawn. It just seemed like something that everybody did. And then Jeremy was like, Oh no, we don't want to do that because then your eyes go to all of these wiggly lines all over your landscape instead of the beautiful plant material and plantings and whatnot. So it's, it's not a hero, everybody. Those lines are not heroic. Let's not draw your eyes to them. So are there other things that you would say, don't do this, do do this? Good. I think, um, what you referred to, I think, was the reasons for doing or not doing things. There's some functional things we could address from a maintenance standpoint of how to do certain things. Uh-huh. But then there's the things to do or not to do that really are a visual. So even you talk about, I love to talk about the senses mm. of a landscape. We have the touch, the texture, the look, the feel. We even talk about the taste of a landscape. Mm. because it's, When you use that, it kind of evokes that, well, I don't know if I'm out tasting my landscape. I get it. But when you really think about how much you would love to enjoy your landscape, could we get it to that level? Yeah. And if we start adding something like a concrete mow curb that's kind of bright white in your landscape, yeah. it is the dominant, it's the champion now. Yeah. You know, it's what is it versus a nice clear, you know, a clean steel edge that now the shape of the lawn is yeah. it. It's a great tip, right? It's right. good. Um, things that people have a lot of questions about would be, hey, is crushed stone a really good option in my planter beds? Is yeah. that good? Should I use that? You know, and they say, because you know, it travels, it gets out in my grass and this and that. And, um, and so it really comes down to that understanding of what's your maintenance tolerance? You know, really establish for yourself in a landscape, how willing am I to, to be involved in my landscape? Right. If I'm going to hire out the maintenance, 
that's fine. Mm-hmm. Tell your guys what you want to do and have them do it. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to spend time and you plan to do it, then we think through those things. Um, wood mulch in planter beds and putting weed barrier fabric under the wood mulch. Yeah. I don't recommend it. I think it's a short-term solution to a very long-term problem. So you say don't use weed barrier. No weed barrier fabric under under soil or wood mulch. Mm -hmm. I just think it's long-term. Most of the trades we work with end up replacing it more than they install it. Mm -hmm. It does have a place, and it does work generally, but that's one example. Under stone mulch, probably easier because the stone mulch isn't breaking down mm-hmm. and creating an artificial layer of soil on top of your wood mulch is where your weeds are going to start grow. Yeah. On top of it. So those type of things I think are those, maybe one of those few of those tips and the, the way you dress your beds and how you take care of them. Um, and the other thing I would say would be, be careful with the size of plants you do bring in. If you, if you can budget to bring in some a little bit bigger, yeah. say that you budget and say, I'm okay with one gallons. But why don't, we, why don't we budget a little bit to bring in a few bigger things that you really would help scale your home from the beginning to feel and look nice mm-hmm. that you can enjoy early on? Yeah. And uh, everything at twigs, you know, little five-gallon sizes or trees or one-gallon shrubs and perennials, <clears throat> I, I, the things will grow and it works great. But uh, if you can bring them in a little bit bigger, some things, I think you'll enjoy your landscape a little earlier. It's a nicer approach to take it on. And again, it's that budget issue. Yeah. How to, how to balance that. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. What is your favorite mulch? Oh gosh, I, mine is a, is not doing any wood mulch is mm-hmm. my favorite mulch, and just doing a nice dark good topsoil. Oh you great, so yeah. Not, you know, we yeah. use mulch to keep weeds down, and yeah. we also do it to keep our soil moist and to hold water in. Mm-hmm. If you use a really good dark organic mulch, or sorry, soil topsoil, and and good depth of it, mm-hmm. then it's not going to dry out when the sun hits it. If it doesn't have clays in it and all that, it's really friable and organic and really great. Mm-hmm. Then I, I think it's the best look. I think it's nice, and it depends on again how you want to work in your yard. Yeah. To keep it looking nice. You can put all your dirt in and then just cover it up with wood mulch, which is fine. And the wood mulch is going to gray out and you have to replenish it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just have to think ahead. Yeah. Just what am I, what do I, what am I willing to take on? What do you do to, what do you recommend to combat like weeding then in your flower beds? Cause you're like, yeah. Pre-emergence. Okay. Just like a preen or a pre-emergent or kids. Okay, your kids. Kids. Assign a kid a planter. I, just say, I like Keep that. On that. I have one, a that lot one, of I have a lot of memories of weeding with my dad <laughs> barking at me. Get the root! I said, get the root! Don't just pull the tops off. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Yes, but my yeah. kids. Yeah. I don't think it works perfectly for anybody, but yeah. It's, I think it's really staying on top of it. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so you can enjoy it. If you let it go any amount of time, it's going to be a pain. Mm-hmm. And even even with the pre-emergence, they're going to they're just going to get ahead of you. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Can we talk about fences? Oh yeah. Um, so in some neighborhoods, people have fences and then in others, it seems almost, um, offensive to put up a fence in a neighborhood where nobody's got a fence. Cause like my backyard sort of rolls, you know, down into a Creek bed and the neighbors does too. And there's not a fence in between. Maybe there's a flower bed that cuts through the middle of ours. But, um, if there's, if you do need privacy, do you have, um, do you have advice for us on how to maybe avoid a fence, but still, but still get maybe a living fence? Sure. Good. So if privacy is the goal, mm-hmm. then we always will evaluate it from a, do you need it from uh, a barrier to keep kids in or out or people in or out? Great. Yeah. No problem. Um, if it's strictly a visual thing you're trying to create, mm-hmm. um, then plantings are a great solution. Everybody's seen nice hedges, you know, they take time to grow. Mm-hmm. I get it. I totally understand mm-hmm. it. Um, 
And, but living fences, living, living barriers or living, I guess, screens, I would say not a barrier, um, are not as hard as it seems to get in place and grow. Cause a plant that's going to get the size you need is going to do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to understand when you, how high you want it to go and how to keep it there. We really, we also really love, and it's, um, I guess you can think about it from a privacy standpoint. If a fence is a barrier or a you know, something you don't want to see, we can do a fence and plant in front of it intermittently. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the cost of a fence and then covering it up with plants. Yeah. But I think in some fence, if you do a nice cedar fence and you allow it to gray out to a nice barnwood color, great. Mm-hmm. If it's a wrought iron fence, no problem. And then you don't have to plant as heavily. You can plant intermittently and allow the fence to poke through in some places, but not in others. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, there's not an all or nothing, you know, and I think it goes back to the style of the home. If it's an English garden, you know, Mm -hmm. do we put in something loose and airy like butterfly bush? Or if we're going to hedge it in, if it's a modern home, do we just do a line of tall ornamental grasses, you know? So it it really plays into what, uh, I guess your style is and what you're looking for. What's the goal of it? But I'd say by all means, I mean, it's, it's a lot less expensive to plant a plant and let it grow up to become the screen often than the cost of the fence and the maintenance of the fence for doing that. Yeah. Okay. So I have a last question for you Um, because it is getting into spring and um, maybe a lot of you already have your landscapes in. So can we talk about pots for a minute? Yes. (laughs) Jeremy was talking just before we started about pots and I loved the way that you spoke about pots. And so maybe talk about pots and maybe also talk about what could people do in their pots and when's the best time to get those planted? Okay, good. Jessica hit a kind of a favorite topic of mine because she knows that <laughs> I like this. And uh, so we have a little saying that says that pots are like waffles because <laughs> everybody loves pots. They love them and they like to fill them full of whatever they want with them, right? Yeah. And it's sometimes it's a love-hate relationship though because then there's the irrigating of it and the draining of yes. it. Yes. The, the spill on my patio and yes. like, ugh, <laughs> what it is. But also pots are helps define space. Mm-hmm. wonderfully. And they're also movable where you can move them. We have a lot of the projects we work on. We do the irrigation pre-installed underneath the pavement in the right spot where the, wow. where the homeowners want their pots. And you just blew my it's mind. It's all smart, installed smart, under smart. the pavement. That's so the drip amazing. irrigation is there, the drainage is there, and the pot just sits there happily, right? Yeah. And you have an irrigation control clock that waters it. And that's, Gorgeous. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but then there's the options, options for moving those pots around and changing those from very small pots to very large pots. The bigger ones, of course, are harder to move. But... We use them for defining space for this plays into outdoor living big time, mm-hmm. outdoor furnishings, which is a big part of any landscape. I'd say before you design your landscape, think about how you're going to live outdoors, whether you want couches, movable chairs, lightweight, heavy, soft slings instead of cushions. So you don't have to take them in during the winter. All mm-hmm. of that plays into that. And then these pots help to kind of just bring it all together. And they're kind of a delicious part of the landscape to me because you've got so many colors, textures, sizes you can play with, and uh, you can use them where you want little, a a little, a few of them or many of them. Yeah. I think even along your home up the driveway, there was a narrow spot underneath the windows of your home. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I think four pots there, Mm -hmm. maybe four or five pots that plantings were going to be kind of harsh South exposure. It was going to be kind of tough. The pots solved that perfectly. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really awesome. Yeah. And, um, we and just we're put, also not we just put fountain grass in it Yeah, yeah because right. my house is like a beach house. And so the fountain grass made a ton of sense and it likes it there and it softened it. It was a really great solution. Yep. And yeah. they, they are great that way. Um, 
Good. Yeah, I think that's, I was, I had another thought about pots and I was thinking about um, the, well, it's left me now. Um, but I, I think coming back to it, I think all the spaces we design, everything has corners sometimes. We have rooms that are 90 degree corners and mm-hmm. it's leftover space sometimes. How, what do you do in a 90 degree corner? Mm-hmm. And in interiors, you guys do it beautifully. I'm looking at it around and I can see it here. Mm-hmm. But I think those are where outdoors, those pots fill those spaces nicely. Yeah. And you just kind of round off past it if it takes up the space and makes mm-hmm. it work well. So it's it's really accessorizing the outdoors the, the, the way that you guys try to do that and do so well on the indoors, in, indoors, inside. Mm-hmm. Is there a time when people should plant their pots? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess pots are very particular as well because they're exposed mm-hmm. to the elements, right? Yeah. So a lot of things don't winter over. Mm-hmm. because the soil freezes completely inside of pots. So you have to be careful what you're planting in them. Yeah. People like to maybe put boxwoods or something like that in them. You have to be careful where they're at because the, they could freeze during the winter time and not come back out of it in the spring. Um, but then you kind of get to that Mother's Day, you know, kind of date where you say, hey, frost-free, go ahead, plant the flowers, yeah. what mm-hmm. it is, you know. But even even in pots, you can put winter cabbage in pots. Mm, There's just this cool so texture that's purple. Yeah. yeah. And, and think outside the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, ornamental grass is one example of that. Mm-hmm. Even vegetable type of things in pots are really exciting. And um, there's even onions. There's an ornamental onion called an allium. It has this little mm. purple puffball. Oh, I love that thing. They're beautiful. So that yeah. could be awesome that are just something you could put in there each year. And I think pots should be that piece of your landscape that can be ephemeral, can be changing, that mm-hmm. I can enjoy mixing it up. Yeah. You know, a little bit as well. Yeah. I like that. You know what? I feel like I get you gave us permission to. Um, have our pots maybe not last year after year that it's okay if they freeze and that you're meant to do them each year. Right. right. And that you can do something different if you get bored easily. Like, like I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah I think so it's cool. fun to be creative and yeah. Um, yeah, to think outside the box. Like Jeremy said, that's, it. that's a lot of fun. Pots are like waffles. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Delicious. Taste yeah. your landscape. Oh, that's great. Oh, this has been so fun, Jeremy. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any last advice that you feel like we should pay forward to our listeners? Oh my goodness. When it comes to landscapes or how we think about them or feel about them. Yeah. I, I think it's to not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid mm. of your landscape. Yeah. Go out and just enjoy it. Be in it and take chances. You know, it's okay to be risky and to yeah. take it out there. It is dirt. It is a plant. You know, it can change. It's mm. not something that's set in place and not to be afraid of them and to have fun with them. It's, you know, after people have built a home, they, some people might be kind of a little bit overwhelmed because they just finished building this big home or whatever. It could be something that's going on. It's like, we try to say, this is the fun part of your project. This is going to be a really fun part to be able mm. to let loose and, uh, and just enjoy um, being outdoors. Because we can create a wall. We can create a grade change. We can change a few things outside that are unique, that aren't stationary. And so I wouldn't be afraid of a landscape. Make it something you can just, you, you know, you want to hug your landscape and have fun mm, with it. This would be my tip. I love it. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, this has been really fun. Um, good luck to all of you guys as you think through your pots and your landscapes this summer. And don't be afraid of it. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like our show, please leave a five-star rating. 